Right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this here, the first uh, episode of the Humans Need Apply podcast. Uh, I'm Chris, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anna. Hey. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about some AI things, some human things, some tech things. Um, but we wanted to start off by talking about why are we here, what are we doing on the, on this podcast, and what we're hoping that you'll get out of this. Yeah, and sort of figure that out organically um, yeah. as we go. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of what we're doing is, on this podcast, will be us talking through our opinions on things, figuring out our opinions. Um, and the hope is that it's going to be a much more organic thing rather than a prepared speech or a overly well-researched uh, episode. Sure. Obviously, there's a place for those things. but Yeah, I think it's good to mention that this kind of idea of doing a podcast kind of fell organically out of me and you just chatting about stuff mm-hmm. uh, in one of our living rooms um, yeah. and thinking, hey, why don't we record this? Um See if people want to get involved in that conversation too. Yeah. And we're also joined in the background by Toby the Cat. Yes. Who I'm sure will be making many appearances on the podcast in future as well. (laughs) Um, And perhaps we'll get his take on various issues as well. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so in terms of background on us, um, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm expecting initial audience will know who we are initially anyway. I'd hope so. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Unless we we attract some randos on the internet, that'd be fine too. (laughs) Hey. Um, uh, yeah, hello, randos. Um, so I'm Chris for the last five years. I've been running a software company, uh, training young people up on commercial software things uh, and building apps and uh, doing a lot of talks about random chit chat. Um, but I'm now moving more into kind of existential risk. So I'm doing this podcast. I'm doing another podcast, which you'll find out more about soon, I guess, uh, as soon as I get around to doing it. Um, and I've been interested for a long time in kind of the interplay between technology and, and culture. Um as well as kind of wider existential risk things. So what happens if another pandemic happens? What happens if AI kind of takes over the world? Um, but I also have some opinions that differ quite a lot to the main zeitgeist on that, because I don't think Terminator's a likely outcome. I think, <laughs> I, I think that's a very unlikely outcome. Hey, it's uh, the first thing we can agree on. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Hey! Yeah. So, so, so Anna and I actually differ quite a lot on a lot of these topics, and that's part of the value of what we're doing here. Yeah. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Then, okay. Sure thing. Hey, I'm Anna. Um, Who am I and what do I do? So I'm a techno-political researcher. I'm currently doing my PhD at the University of Bristol, uh, but this podcast is not affiliated with the University of Bristol, I probably should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opinions Uh, are our own. Yes, our own and ours only. Um, Especially the sketchy ones. (laughs) Your sketchy ones, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I've been working in the techno-political space for a little while now. Uh, What do I mean by that? It's ultimately looking at the uh, technology and looking at the political implications um, and the politics surrounding technology. Um, I co-lead a digital societies research group also um, at Bristol. Um, I've been working in innovation for a little while um, and doing kind of various innovation consultancy and advisory roles, working with different businesses and uh, people in academia who are um, in the innovation space. And basically, I'm obsessed with AI and robotics and specifically humanoid AI and humanoid robotics and how those two things collide and work together. Um, And I love thinking about the idea of the human experience and what it means to be human and the idea of simulating that human experience and simulating the human through technology um, such as AI and robotics um, and ultimately what impacts that will have on our experiences as human beings and our socio-political structures that we work within. Um, yeah. Nice. 
And so part of the reason we're doing this is we wanted it to be kind of organic, conversational. Anna and I have some very differing opinions on things, but ultimately, like, we're good friends and we're aiming for the same thing, but from very different angles. So we're hoping, I think, perhaps that there'll be some polite disagreement, Mm. some heated disagreement that we're still friends with afterwards. (laughs) Um, And a big part of what we're doing is hoping that, you know, we can show that there are ways of reconciling differences, um, even from very different angles. kind of sides of the the same coin yeah um, i'm definitely promoting hearing each other out and yeah. not just making even if you're really wrong all of the time even if i'm really angry at you sometimes yeah, uh, just hearing you out and yeah. and yeah trying to work out how we can work together as a society and not have such polarity um yeah yeah and that, that's the intro i guess i think so great yeah so in, in terms of the first topics today we i i think Anna, maybe talking about some of the research that you're doing could, could definitely be a good starting point because um, I think it hits on a lot of the notes that we're going to cover more generally. Because mm-hmm. um, we, we've had chats and uh, you're giving talks about this. And, and so it, it's a somewhat rehearsed area, <laughs> but I, I've definitely got some questions too. So Sure thing. Oh, where to start? I would like to say to everybody that I'm really out of my comfort zone right now because as someone who works in academia, I often have a script in front of me and I don't at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm... And I'm very comfortable. Yeah, you're super comfortable. Um, <laughs> um, so what do I do? Um, so at the moment, I'm looking at uh, simulated humans, digital humans, um, and thinking about the commercialization processes of those things um, and ultimately the ethics surrounding those commercialization processes and looking at um, ultimately where the issues socio-politically and socially, social, socio-culturally, sorry, may lie. Um, so my main obsessions have been um, kind of simulated women And what do I mean by that? So um, two kind of examples, I think, which are interesting to talk about first are Sophia the robot and then Michaela. Um, So Sophia the robot is a um, humanoid robot that is gendered as she. Um, I am going to say she, but I don't recognise this object as a human being. I just want to note um, that I might slip up and and call her her and she she every now and again. It's one of those useful linguistic tropes, but at the same time, it kind of paves the way too easily to allowing it to be considered human. Yeah. that makes sense? Absolutely. Well, that's the point. Yeah, that's why it's really important. But, you know, when I'm writing this stuff down, I can do select and find and see all of the places where I've accidentally um, put that into my work. Um, It's less easy to do that when you're just... Uh, verbalizing um yeah anyway um so i'm looking at sophia and michaela and and ultimately thinking about how they are gendered through the commercialization processes of those objects and looking at also how they promote and capitalize on um experiences of um minority or sorry marginalized individuals Um, And the reason why I'm doing that is to ultimately look at how the commercialization processes impact marginalized individuals' rights and rights to autonomy and the ways that they are viewed uh, culturally and socially. Yeah. And and from my perspective on this, so Anna's much more from a kind of a sociological political perspective. I'm a little bit more technical, but I'm not like super techie. For me, the big interest here is almost from like a a systemic cultural perspective. Mm some of the 
things happening with Sophia especially, well, both Sophia and Michaela are really interesting to me because they have the potential to overthrow a lot of kind of almost like not quite legal precedent, but cultural precedent. Mm -hmm. They're relatively simple technological pieces. Absolutely. That are seemingly having a huge huge impact culturally yeah um or, or paving the way for huge impact culturally so yeah. that, that's my interest point on it yeah and and definitely question our ideas about how we value humans and how we actually you know even define what it means to be human and um a question i'm sure we will answer clearly and specifically <laughs> at some point sure let's hope so yeah. i doubt it, it seems <laughs> i highly like doubt it yeah. definitely impossible um yeah, we probably should talk about our sarcasm as well, actually, and we should probably make that more clear. Uh, no, I think we leave it and let people get confused for a while. <laughs> that, that'll be more fun around. Okay, deal. Um, so yeah, let's start with Sophia. So um, Sophia is a, a robot. It's a humanoid robot. What I mean by that is it's a robot that is designed to look like and imitate a human being. Um, specifically, Sophia is designed to look like a human woman, and the um, designer of Sophia, um, Hansen, um, who is the owner of Handsome Robotics, ultimately designed Sophia to look a bit like Audrey Hepburn and his wife combined. Um, so that's super interesting from the outset. Um, so well, it, Interestingly, it's interesting from the outset, especially because it, it also speaks to the kind of, um, and this I'm sure is something we'll keep coming back to, is this idea that in, in sci-fi, people are like, oh, that's just sci-fi, that would never really happen. Mm. And actually what we're seeing is all of these sci-fi tropes now becoming reality. Yeah. So in this case, you think of Ex Machina, yeah. um, where it's this one guy who just basically wanted sex robots. Yeah. And, then, and people are like, no one would ever dedicate that much time and money to research. <laughs> and it's like, this one guy has just made yeah. the first well robotic and harmony who's actually the world's first ai mm. uh, sex robot as well yeah um who is equally designed in a very similar way uh, so i think took the designer of harmony took some basically looked at um who they find most attractive themselves subjectively and right. then designed this bot so yeah, Sophia is definitely designed in a very similar way. Yeah, I, I think we should definitely say that. Go like <laughs> should have put, perhaps put some trigger warnings at the front of the episode. Yes, we're going to get into some pretty some pretty dark territory. Yeah, there's a lot of cynicism that's going to go around. Um, so some some hope as well to balance it I out. I hope so. Yeah, but um, we're talking about very powerful companies creating very powerful things of the potential, both to massively democratize things and do really great things, mm-hmm. but also to to, to fuck a lot of things up. Do so. some serious harm, yeah, yeah, and promote some serious violence. Yeah. I think we'll try and do trigger warnings as we go, but we're going to slip up. That's yeah. going to happen. Um, so I think it's good to just have that over the entire thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think all the trigger warnings need to be yeah. triggered. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, in order to talk about hard things, you've got to talk about hard things, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So Sophia, ultimately, I think one of the the biggest pieces of interest that you've had from my work is uh, about Sophia is about the fact that Sophia was granted citizenship of Saudi Arabia in 2017 Um, and and some of the almost kind of like diplomatic yeah kind of piece to 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 her invention I guess yeah so um was promoted by the United Nations Development Programme as the appropriate advocate to discuss women's rights um primarily uh women of uh, marginalized demographics rights um and um ultimately that's you know quite uh jarring when you think about the fact that because Sophia 
has citizenship in Saudi Arabia actually has more civilian rights than uh, the women of Saudi Arabia who would probably be considered as uh, women from uh, marginalized um, demographics. So um, Sophia actually has more rights than than civilian rights, sorry, than than those women um, as an object um, yeah. within that country. And it's interesting because there's a kind of there is a religious piece to that because obviously Saudi Arabia is a heavily kind of theocratic nation. The fact that big religion shall we call it has kind of stayed away from Sophia is quite interesting yeah I yeah so Sophia is designed primarily by an American and Hong Kong based uh, team um, which you know both of those places uh, have their own religious uh, you know connotations and um, that's not the right word but um Yes, I think there definitely is a religious aspect of that in that ultimately, you know, parts of the, some of the, sorry, civilian rights that Sophia has that those women maybe don't have is, are enforced by religious codes of conduct. So um, Sophia isn't uh, required to wear religious dress and isn't required to have a um a male guardian yeah chaperone yeah of. i don't think i can't remember what the name like there's an actual term for it, i can't remember i think is. they're called guardians oh really um but there's probably other language yeah. that i'm just not aware yeah. of um yeah, yeah. so so it, it's interesting from a kind of there have been historically some other interesting scenarios where non-humans have been granted personhood mm. so the, the the main one i always think about is the wanganui river which i believe is in new zealand yeah so and th- there's something quite spiritual about that particular instance where it's th- this is a spirit of the land this is a very important part of our culture i've always been fine with that as a notion but this mm. this object being granted this constructed object being granted personhood for one implies a very strong degree of cohesion between let's say the saudi arabian government and handsome robotics mm. there's clearly some palliness going on yeah. there mm-hmm. which is i would say it's, it's not surprising lobbying is, is a big thing everywhere mm-hmm. but there's that degree but it's also that there's something that feels very um do you know what i mean by like apotheosis yeah so that, that there is something godly about this we've created something and we are we are ordaining it to be human mm. that there's something that feels very um deific about it well yeah because ultimately this is about our um we consider the human to be intelligent so intelligence and humanness are you know synonymous mm-hmm. ultimately uh, not in my personal opinion um you know this is one of the conversations that we've had in the past is about you know can artificial intelligence be considered artificially human um, Mm. because ultimately in my opinion intelligence isn't the only thing that makes us human Um, but I'm sure we'll go into those arguments later on yeah probably not today for another time yeah I mean intelligence sentience all of these other easy (laughs) questions (laughs) on the horizon easy Um, but yeah I think I think that's the the piece that um I, I think it's also the embodiment as well. So the fact that Sophia is not only supposedly intelligent, I'm supposedly is the important yeah. word there, um, but also that Sophia is granted a body and that ultimately if that body, therefore a body that is made to be able to function in the structures of human society. So like 
but you know ultimately is it, it has limbs and mm-hmm. is able to and it's got you know opposable thumbs and it's able to and has face muscles in exactly yes yeah, so yeah. it's able to interact with the kind of ways that we've created set up our world in order for us to move around it it's created in ways to move mm. around in that world in a very in, in that world in a very similar way so I think actually it's not just the AI piece that's important, but the robotics piece, you know, that ultimately mm. Sophia has a body and it can move around. Well, I thought it was really interesting as well. You used the word granted. Mm. Sophia has been granted a body. That for me is quite an interesting term to use because it implies that w- we have deemed it worthy. Yeah, And sure. that in future we may continue to deem things worthy or not worthy. And if we get into the questions of is it sentient, does it have rights, etc. Are we the ones who should be granting? Should we have that power? And now we're into that apotheosis piece again oh yeah that's very you know i you know when i look at these objects and i'm looking at the materials and the systems that are used in order to develop sophia's robotics it's very similar robotics that's used for 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 example manufacturing arms so what i mean by that is you know arms that are in factories and that ultimately they're there to help support systems that are manufacturing products i'm glad you clarified that because i thought you were talking about um um, like bionic arms or, or oh um, no, like uh, prosthetics is what I'm looking for. Also, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure there's... there are similarities there. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say that Sophia's robotics is as sophisticated as sure. some of the bionic um, robotics that we're seeing at the moment coming out of um, the medical space. But um, yeah, is that just cost restricted? Do you reckon? Because I imagine they make a fair amount of money from parading her around. and I think it's not just cost-restricted. I think that there are some serious choices that are being made at Hanson about that too. Ultimately, you know, we're talking about the UN piece and the Saudi Arabia piece. Like, that is a huge marketing scheme. Like, it's a fantastic way of yeah. selling Sophia. And I think that you've got well, to I also be... think it's great marketing for Saudi Arabia. Well, we can go... In... Yeah, okay. Bear with me. Okay. So, um... Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that's a really bear okay. with me. So, um, so yeah, so I think that um, you've when you're selling a product, you've also this is a very new product as well on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not um, covertly, but overtly. And so this is a what new... is she as a product though? Sorry to cut you off. So Sophia is categorised as a social robot. So social robots are designed and manufactured and intended for the intention of ultimately being able to interact with other hu- with with human beings. Whoa, that was a slip there. Yeah. With human beings. So um, Sophia's. I guess the goal of Sophia would be to as a almost like a MVP or a prototype of what will end up being Hanson's main products of robots that will move into different social settings and be there you know whether they're service robots or they are there for you I'm know, thinking like care sector exactly because ultimately we can end up talking about automation at some point yeah because so one of my big worries around especially robotics but AI and I mean we've seen chat GPT kind of wipe out a massive swath of jobs I think I saw 30,000 redundancies just from call centers in the last few months mm-hmm. um, in the UK alone yeah when we start like one of the big things people talk about is like, oh yeah, but we'll always need robots. Uh, sorry, we'll always need humans in um, care homes because that human interaction is really important. And I'm actually really skeptical. I, I I cannot think of a single space that is safe. When was the last the- time you went into your bank? Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> please ask yourselves yeah, that. But like- but there's there's something that seems very important about care because it's like with your bank. Other than, yeah, like, okay. reassurance that your money is there. Yeah. Like, there's not much psychologically that needs to happen for you. Yeah. 
if you're in care, like we know that in terms of medical outcomes, they're improved if the person's comfortable, if they have greenery around them. There's lots of these psychological factors that actually affect outcomes. Yeah, that's true. So I think some people are just, they basically have presumed, well, places that have more nurses and the nurses are happier because they're well paid, health outcomes are better. Mm. Therefore, having more high quality nurses will be good. My suggestion is that eventually it's going to be like, uh, yeah, but actually we've cracked it. It's these particular facial expressions, yeah. this frequency of checking in on people, etc. And we just automate that with robotics. Yeah, like ultimately we've been, you know, seeing nurses picketing for rights for fair wages for how long now in this yeah. country? And also when was the last time you went into an NHS hospital and was greeted with the greenery and uh, yeah. you know, a lovely place, a setting of, of healthcare. So yeah. I think, yes, maybe the data suggests that these things would not be the best things to be looking after our elderly and our sick and actually you know i am one of those people who is terrified of these things coming in and being there to look after our elderly and our sick but there's a price point which will be a very good argument for those who are making these decisions um and ultimately with a growing population a growing an aging population um and a healthcare which means that we've got people who are living longer and living through things that they previously wouldn't have been able to live through you know that price point argument is only going to get stronger and stronger yeah part of me does think that the idea that it's that human to human that really matters is going to go out the window because like we look at for example the prevalence of things like sex bots Mm. and i'm not even talking like physical robots i'm talking people just interacting you know to talk dirty with a chatbot or whatever those have become massively popular Mm. in the last year or so um because these open source kind of gpt-esque models have become available if people are happy to outsource sex to robots, I don't see why they're not happy to outsource some like basic conversations around, mm. like especially if it reduces embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, well, this isn't really a robot, but it kind of understands me. So I've got the best of both worlds here. Yeah, but now we're going to move into our bias argument because, sure. yeah. Uh, before we do that, what were we talking about when I was saying about the UN and Saudi Arabia being a fantastic marketing scheme for oh, Sophia? Well, going... Yeah, and I, I said it's also a great marketing scheme for Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and I can't remember what my point was going to be. Um... I don't, well, I, I think it's good marketing for Saudi Arabia on the basis that it now looks like they're being progressive. Yeah. And I think it's going to overshadow. So I, I had this thought when, um, uh, whenever any kind of large global event happens, so Silicon Valley Bank collapsed or the pandemic or Brexit or whatever, whenever a big story like that comes up, I'm always thinking, what's this covering up? Mm. What are people now doing? So over the pandemic, um, for example, Bill Gates sold a massive chunk of his shares in Microsoft. Mm-hmm. He would probably not have gotten away with that because that would have been front page news. Yeah. So... I, I'm thinking, okay, so what is Saudi Arabia now getting away with? And the answer is probably quite a lot. They were anyway. Honestly, Saudi Arabia is uh, a of huge interest to me when it comes to these things. Um, I, by these things, I mean the humanoid robots and this kind of um, the politicizing of um, of humanoid bots. Um, but I'm going to throw this out there and not be able to adequately answer your questions that you'll probably throw back to me. But um, will I am? I, this guy's got some things to answer for, I think. I'm, I'm, I need to have a chat with I am. Uh, for those who you know, have been living under a rock for the last however many decades... Well, I think I must be one of those rock dwellers because I don't know what you're talking will about. Will I am for the Black Eyed Peas? Yeah, yeah, but I don't know what you're talking about. So, ultimately, Will I am has done some 
amazing deals with Saudi Arabia, lucrative, I'm sure. Um, and he has been like the front page of their some of their like innovation and technology conferences. And there was like this huge thing. Again, I'm not able to adequately talk about this and I'm going to have to pick it up on another session sure. after doing a bit more background research. Sure. Um, but yeah, he's his name is and, and, and Saudi Arabia are paired in quite a lot of things that I've been, they've just been like on the sidelines of things that I've been researching um and there was like this huge event that they did and um it was all about ai and like saudi arabia is the next space for progression of technology specifically ai technology um, i'd heard about that because i have i have some friends and family who have been out in saudi arabia working on various yeah. things and a lot of it is just like because they're, they're quite authoritarian in, in in many many ways that does yield to higher efficiency in many ways so what that means is the pay is way higher they have to work their asses off but the pay is significantly more and the pace of innovation is significantly higher. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that they're becoming a bit of a technological hub because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen California recently or the UK, there's a lot of talk, but actually there's not a great deal happening in most of these companies. Mm. OpenAI and a couple of others excluded. Mm. I don't know enough about that and I'll just talk about that right sure. now. Um I'm really interested about the authoritarian piece in Saudi Arabia, though. I again, I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that that completely. But you've, you're onto something there. Sure, I, sure. I feel. Um, I mean, I, I think it's fairly. Not a historian, but several historian friends. So I'm simply doing what I do with everything else, which is parrot other people's opinions. Um, and typically speaking, uh, nation states, governments, etc., that are more. Um, autocratic so i'm talking like or even feudal so like the fewer key decision makers there are and the fewer steps from edict to action Mm. the more effective the system is so when you look at various places i'm thinking like singapore or china china like when, when you have like single people or families that basically run absolutely everything the pace is much faster mm. now that's not to make the claim that it's better because i think there's definitely ethical quandary there but you know, we look at the the Roman Empire, like the the amount of stuff per capita that they were able to do, mm. um, and and you know the great buildings that they built, and then we compare that to like modern Britain, where the actual like growth per capita is not very big at all. Um, I, I think it makes sense to me that I feel like that's a part of the puzzle. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. like it potentially might be a reductive way of oh sure of, yeah, but, just... but definitely part of the puzzle. Yeah. I I think that that's you know definitely a important part of the yeah. argument. Um, yeah, Will I Am. He's also um, been so he is one of the first people to basically download a lot of himself into generating a digital human of him. And a digital human is ultimately a very similar idea, um, like Sophia the robot, like these humanoid robots, but they're solely digital. So they they are. Um, you Think know, of them more as animations with some code rather than a... Absolutely that. You know, one of the reasons why I've started to talk about myself is not something that's not just looking at robotics, but animation is because of these things. Um, I think to call them, although they are called robotics in mm. quite a lot of the media and, and some of the literature and, you know, academic literature that's talking about them and, and industry literature that's talking about them, they're not robots. They are very, very amazing animations that have mm-hmm. some awesome code, um, but not as awesome as is marketed um, yeah. as being behind it. Well, I guess I'm thinking from a technical perspective, perspective they probably share many of the traits of actual robots 
because I think it would probably be fair to say that an anim- like these digital humans are probably just simulated robots. Might be one way of framing it. Ooh. Because structurally, they'll so the way you create an animation, for example, like uh, you create scaffolding and yeah, that yeah, it yeah. has joints and they move. Yeah. And it's probably doing exactly the same computation as an, a physical robot would, but it doesn't have to worry Virtually about gravity. And, and, yeah. Um, mm. So it's probably virtu- like a, a simulated robot in that sense i'm gonna to have to talk to my pals at uh, women in robotics uk about this yeah, yeah, yeah. shout out to you guys yeah um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any organizations to shout out about. i'm not really affiliated <laughs> with Damn. i'm very very happily affiliated with those they're an amazing group uh, go google them um yeah. also opinions are not theirs either no definitely not their opinions either um and this podcast is not affiliated with them just yeah. me yeah. <laughs> um yeah, anyway, um, Will I Am. So, Will I Am basically was working with, oh, goodness me, I cannot remember the name of the company. I think they're literally called Digital Humans, um, but I will uh, rectify that if I've got that wrong. Um, and he is working with this company to ultimately download himself um, so that he can have a digital version of himself that will be able to work within a metaverse. Interesting um, space, and because um, so, I think I remember seeing something like he's there's now like a voice model that's trained on a lot of his music. Absolutely, and, that yes. Which which brings kind of <laughs> the listeners will find very quickly this gets very interdisciplinary and jumps around a lot. Like there's some very legal oh in like intrigue for sure. There. Like when I was reading about that, my first thought was okay, well this is a musician, um, so you you've already got different. Uh, are musicians when they are bought by large labels you know what is their own anymore you know we've had huge i'm just thinking about taylor swift and and the kind of legal battles that she had with um the guy who owned ultimately owned her voice and her music for for many many years and she's had to actually go and re-record all of her music because this guy still owns um all of all of this um of her property ultimately yeah. he... and, and while i'm somewhat biased because i actually don't like taylor swift's music very much oh, dude. like th- th- there is part of me that feels there has to be a careful balance between like actually fair enough she made that contract there was no duress i, I don't know enough about the scenario but like... well hey you work for a company and ultimately the ip that you generate while you're working for that company is owned by that company well right? exactly like I, but so it's really going to stretch the 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 tension between fairness like justice and legal mm. um that i can't it was one of the supreme justices of the us or something said that the, one of the biggest problems with modernity is the the rising disparity between what is legal and what is right mm. and and i think technology is going to accelerate that a lot yeah and the importance of celebrity within that as well i think is a really uh key yeah. Point. So, do you know if the, are they allowed to use Will I Am's voice to create new music? Well, so this, so he signed some contracts with them, and I think that he is very pro people doing that as long as he's, you know, got royalties or something. Ultimately, yes, but he's very much on the pro digital side of the fence. From obviously, I don't know Will I Am personally, um, but you know, these these are the kind of ideas that I've got from reading these articles. As I say, as sidelines of other things that I've been predominantly researching. Um, but he definitely is is on the pro side of that fence, and and I think one of the 
points that I'd thought about is okay well this guy you know ultimately this could work for him if you're doing a if you have a digital version of a will of will I am and he's unable to perform in a city you can set up a meta version of that concert and okay he's gonna get financially compensated for a concert that he technically didn't actually do um i think the real the key piece for me and and the constant like that i have when i'm thinking about these sorts of ideas is um or reality sorry what if will i am is a politician yeah you know and and i think for me this is when it becomes you know it's already political we've already talked about the legal repercussions and the kind of owning of one's own creativity and and what is our ip you know and and the political implications of that are i think quite obvious but you know when we're actually thinking about politicians um and again the idea of celebrity coming in with this as well that's a whole other yeah uh quandary i i think as well the way one of the aspects of this i think about is in terms of what would the what, what does that do to the value of the art? Mm. So what Will I Am is an artist. I, you know, I don't know a great deal about his music and I have some staunch beliefs about what is and is not art. But <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll call him an artist for now. Um, Taylor Swift is not an artist. Uh, right. I disagree. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> it's funny. I, I know at least three of my friends who are going to be watching this have just like stopped listening at this point. I've just lost <laughs> No, them. stay with me. Stay with me. Like, Anna, is the, Anna here is the Taylor Swift fan. I am the opposition. <laughs> Um, we said there would be heated debate. Here you have it. Um, so what what is this going to do to the value of art? So uh, I think of this as, um, have I told you about like carbon dating? Um, so to archaeologists, the, yeah. the, the mm. present is, mm-hmm. I think it's the 1st of January 1940. Mm-hmm. Um, because past that date, carbon dating can't tell the difference because of, because of nuclear radiation tests and things like that. And there's some other kind of, Fun ta- tangents there on shipwreck steel being really valuable because of that and yeah, some yeah, other yeah. fun things. So I, I imagine that that sounds like a massive tangent. I promise it's relevant to art. Um, I, I see coming up, um, I, I don't know exactly when, but it definitely feels like soon, um, a point where we have a um, a setting of a date mm. similar to this carbon dating point after which art is kind of yeah. indistinguishable. Yeah, yeah. Because it's going to get to the stage where we've got things like Mid Journey, who are a fantastic company. I found out Mid Journey when they started releasing their kind of generative AI for images, which is incredibly good, incredibly mm. sophisticated. I think it was only like six people on the team. And it's like, how wow. did six people do that? And you look at OpenAI, who have a lot more employees, and yeah, they made Dali yeah. too, which is good, but it's not as good as Mid Journey. Yeah. Uh, they use slightly different methods, but um, again, it's that kind of fewer decision makers the edict to action line yeah. it's much shorter when you have a small startup this is a great way of introducing Michaela because like Michaela sure. is a digital human who it you know has I I cannot remember the stats off the top of my head right now um I should with the amount of times that I uh, repeat them to rooms full of people um but um is you know has a has amazing rates on Spotify has millions of um, audience members across different platforms yeah. social media platforms um, has its own clothing line um, and you know has its own website that's an interactive website and has all of the relative links to the things that I've just listed before um, and she's I- not real. <laughs> 
Yeah, Michaela is not real. Um, yeah. So um, I, I wonder what, how many people think she is or don't recognise. Well, this is this is such an interesting case. So ultimately, when Michaela was first produced by Brud, um, who were the company that owned Michaela, they were a Californian company who owned Michaela before it was Brud was supposedly bought by a another company um, whose name is um, not in my head right now, but hopefully it'll come to me. Um, but I say supposedly because the paper trail for all of this stuff is so nebulous. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's it for me makes it even more exciting, but also terrifying at yeah. the same time. Um, and ultimately, so um, you know, Brud was a Brud created Michaela, um, advertised Michaela on Instagram as a nineteen-year-old girl, um, and. Um, ultimately used all of the mechanisms that social media influencers use in order to um, gain popularity and seek out an audience um, and and commodify products. um, And for me, this is just a natural extension to like the boy band phenomenon where it's, they they just get like five attractive young guys and they have some sophisticated marketing. The music doesn't matter. It's very generic. We were talking about Bo Burnham earlier. I forget what the name of that song is. When is I love your eyes in a bluish, brownish, greenish colour. Oh, yeah. It's the kind of, the ge- generic vagaries yeah, that attract. Yeah, yeah. And if you've got a 19-year-old who's super famous yeah. and is talking about the same things that the other 19-year-old girls yeah, on social yeah. media who need help uh, or, or are looking for connection to something, yeah. well, of course that's going to go go well. But it's predatory from my perspective. Uh, I I agree with you, Chris. Yes. Whoa. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Whoa. That's yeah. another tally on the agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. agree page. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and ultimately, like, Michaela is is constructed as a 19-year-old, half-Spanish, half-Brazilian girl, um, but um, ultimately is designed by a group of, I think there are, like, five or six of them, and yeah. I think there were fewer at the time, yeah. um, and a predominantly male development team. Um, not predominantly male creative team, but a predominantly male development team. That's somewhat reassuring, I guess. Um... I guess, like, but then again, that we've had this conversation, like, men don't equal bad, so, like... Sure, you know... but in terms... So the thing for me with, like, the Sophia being um, the, the appropriate representative for women... Yes. I think if her if her development and creative team were all women, mm. then it would kind of seem, okay, well, this is almost democratic. Almost radical. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's almost really cool. Yeah. But it's just not. It's just not, no. <laughs> but, so we, we've got the issue in terms of, like, I mean, I would love to know if Michaela was the first attempt. I would love to know. So they tried a, half, a 19-year-old, half-Spanish, half-Brazilian woman. Were there iterations prior to that that they made accounts for that just so, didn't go as well? There were other re- um, iterations, sorry. There, there were. But one of them was... So th- I think Michaela was the first one that was advertised as, as a human being. The hmm. really... I think cool, but again, terrifying narrative that, that kind of spiralled was that they had another another digital human that they'd created that was um and also just to clarify we're saying digital human we don't actually believe that these are digital no, humans just to be clear not, to be very clear like, we'll, no. we'll come on to that topic i'm sure another time I, I i have some characteristics of what i think like i think it would be possible to have digital humans i think yeah i think this is a point that we're contentious on yeah 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 but i, I think that would be possible 
whether it's desirable is another question. Mm-hmm. But we're nowhere near that yet. Uh, at least as far as we, we Yes. Know. Again, this goes back to what it means to be human and yeah. whether or not uh, our intelligence equals human yeah. um, and whether yeah. a body equals human. Yeah. Um, but these are all... Yeah. It comes down to, Ooh. like, are you a transhumanist or a carbon chauvinist, basically? Ooh. Yeah. Very int- I like that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um... So yeah, and, and so there was this this other one, and this was during Trump's like original um, election process. And um, I was wondering how long it would take us to get to Trump. Oh yeah, let's let's make this very brief. Yeah, yeah. Please. This is the new um, was it Godwin's law that how long before the conversation oh, yeah. ends up with Hitler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Trump is the new one. Yeah, not that I think that they're in any way the same <laughs> kind of character, um, but you know, I'm gonna say nothing. Um, <laughs> Opinions are our own. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so so there was this other one. I can't remember what she was called. It was called, but it was very. It was a again nineteen year old, but um, you know, very like white, blonde hair, blue eyes, sure. um, Britney Spears esque looking thing. Okay. Less sophisticated when it came to the animation, and was not marketed as a human being. It was marketed as a, a dig- as a as a robot. Okay. Um. So um, a virtual influencer. Um. Yeah. So uh. Yeah. And and ultimately there was this huge thing. So this you know the Britney Spears esque digital human was um pro Trump and was using this idea of pro robot rights alongside the you wow. know, yeah against uh, and was kind of using Trump's um political opinions in order to yeah. um you know align this pro robot thing with 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 that kind of election process um see that's a really interesting question I'd love to look into is what's the political proclivity for people in the transhuman camp versus the you know are, are, yeah. are people that are on the right more worried about ai are people on the left kind of more worried about I, i'm sure there'll be some correlation but I, I wouldn't want to say confidently what that would be i guess there's probably equal fears but for different things yeah you know i i, I this is absolutely going to be my own biases and stereotypes coming out right now but i would suggest that those on the right are probably more worried about the um i think there would be some people who would be worried about the job market i think that mm-hmm. that that worry about the job market probably differs depending on what uh social class people yeah. are part of sure um and well because it's going to accelerate the vanishing of the middle class as well yes so pretty much that entire swath of people who i, I believe typically have a more left bent but then the further up you get in this country yes yeah because the thing I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking like I'm um, Jonathan Haidt's five. Um, uh, what is it? It's like the political. I forget what he calls them. Pillars. I think so. There's five pillars uh, of, of value and virtue that people have. This is new to me. Okay, so I, I might forget what they are. So I, the interesting thing about it is that um, people on the left have a high degree of valuation for two of them. Mm-hmm. People on the right value all five. To varying levels but all quite highly okay so on the, on the left it's typically harm avoidance and fairness mm. um are the two highest rated and then the other three don't matter and the, the, the other three are in group authority and purity wow okay so those three are just not held as values at all by people on the these left. are some judgment laden but it's interesting because this is it's like a purely statistical approach wow okay. that then uncovers in, in the same way as with big five right you, you start you 
the the psychometric analysis mm-hmm. you you run huge questionnaires with various bits of phrasing over i want to say like nearly 100 years of this framework existing and then you just do statistical analysis and it turns out that oh okay well these 60 traits tend to be able to categorize a human in terms of their decision making mm. pretty accurately mm. but that each of those cluster together so the five there are extroversion openness uh, agreeableness neuroticism and empathy i think are the five there so but again they're almost purely statistical approaches so mm. it's actually quite hard to laden bias into these which is which is quite interesting but i do think you see it in terms of that there's a reason that kind of um religiosity tends to be higher on the right because that's predominantly about puritanism yeah that, that purity thing yeah. so i think that a lot of the stuff so i i think entertainingly our worries in terms of impact of ai and do digital humans like can they exist is that going to be a thing is that going to be a good thing mm. i think actually surprisingly despite our political differences we're both in the purity camp here there's something that would be not pure there would be something not quite right oh god don't don't put me in that camp what what in terms of like a digital human it wouldn't really be human that's not a real human tends to be the side that we're yeah we're leaning on that for me feels like a purity argument interesting and i would i would suspect that especially if we looked on the religious side in terms of people's attitude towards ai that would rear its head I've spoken to you about this before and maybe we could talk about this another time but like the interaction of religion with AI as well and how you know one of the most awesome um podcasts that I've I've been listening to that discusses AI as being Google's oh goodness me my brain is definitely in Sunday mode <laughs> sorry yeah. uh there's um for, for the listeners it's a, it's a lovely sunny Sunday in Exeter um, yes and we've been drinking coffee and and eating fajitas yeah fajitas yeah, it's a good and, old day yeah um yeah anyway um Google so Google I will have to google this uh-huh. <laughs> or google search it google actually don't like you saying google it oh yeah it's a, this fun well, that makes thing. me want to say google it more yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, believe it or not it's a, um, a trademark thing if it comes to common usage um and they can't demonstrate that it's not just a word um they, they they can lose their trademark so they actually pay certain films to like i don't know if they do this anymore but they used to pay various like filmmakers to put google search rather than google into their scripts mm. so that they had a legal case that's really anyway, sorry, Karen. No, no. So uh, there's uh, one of Google's podcasts, a Google-hosted podcast, uh-huh. uh, that talks about AI. And some of the most amazing people that they've had on there have been those of, you know, that are in religious... Sure. Pa- are in positions of power, sorry, in religious organisations. Sure. Um, and... Um, one of again i'm gonna have to search this and 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 talk about this at some point because it's it is fascinating there's somebody within the uk who again is one of our like deepest and best thinkers in ai who's again holds a really um powerful position in the church of england um and why i've said this is um you know a lot of the the themes that i've picked up on in in listening to these conversations has been ultimately how ai questions 
this idea of what it means to be a human mm-hmm. being and what you need to use in order to construct your humanity and ultimately you know a lot of the principles behind religion are what do we need to do in order to construct the best version of humanity and yeah. what does it mean to be a human being you know and what does it mean you know not just a human being within this consciousness plane that we're in right sure. now but ultimately what happens after we leave this consciousness and and or, or once that consciousness and transcend it transcends it. into yeah. into a different into a different place so um Yes, I I yeah. wonder whether or not your you know use of the word purity and and that kind of correlation that you found between our side of the camps and and the word purity and the and the judgments and yeah. kind of values behind that. For all its worth, that's just a guess. I haven't specifically looked into that. Yeah, time, yeah, 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 but that, yeah. But that feels like it would make sense. Yeah. So the the, the, the I'm thing... definitely thinking out loud now as well. Oh, that, yeah, great, great. <laughs> um, uh, the thing I was going to mention that has just slipped my mind irritatingly. Um, oh, that's gonna really bug me. Come back. Uh yeah. What were we talking about? We were talking about Google, and then we were talking about uh, religion and how uh, big thinkers and AI are also those who hold big thinking spaces and and positions of power in religious organisations. And how... I remember. Yeah. Thank you. We've got there, and it's actually nothing to do with any of those things. That's but I fine. think rethinking it yeah, through yeah, got yeah, into yeah, the yeah. same thought. Um. When Turing kind of framed the the Turing test, mm. when we're talking about like it will get to a point where we'll this will be recognizably human level intelligence, or it will perhaps the other way around is the more accurate way of framing it. It will no longer seem to be robotic. Yeah. Part of the philosophy behind that was because Turing wasn't sure whether it would be possible to transcend like the material and create consciousness from a purely material substrate. Yeah. He wasn't sure. Yeah. But he talked about the, the Turing test as being this kind of recursive process. It's not just about can we create something outside of us that is human. Mm. It was also about this thing being used as a tool for us to identify what we even mean by human in the first place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a really important point that most people who I talk about this on a day-to-day basis uh, ignore or, yeah. or don't know of, sorry. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think the textbooks... Th- thing is we used to think like ah well if we can create something that can understand mathematics that must be human and then we did that and it can do calculations and you know well it's actually why computers are called computers yeah um computer was originally a job title um held by people who would basically be manual excel spreadsheets oh it feels so weird now it's so gross Nowadays, we just call them mathematicians, don't hey. we? Um, <laughs> Shout um, out to my friends who are mathematicians. Yeah, it's like half of our friend group. Um, uh, you're just like old-fashioned AI. Gosh, that's a tragic sense. It's really bad. Anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so we used to believe that that mathematical ability was key. Um, and then we believed it was language. Well, now we have ChatGPT. And as much mm. as some people be like, oh, it's not quite human level. It's like the people saying that are kind of the elites who have a very high acuity with language and they'll notice these like small things. I can't think of a single person on the planet that is capable of the degree of linguistic fidelity that ChatGPT has with a basically infinite vocabulary and can translate into every language that we have literature on. Right now, but I think this is the really important part when we talk about things like ChatGPT is ultimately that technology is only as good as its data source. And so, you know, okay, yes, those things might be right about ChatGPT right now, but I think... Well, well, this is my point. I don't think they even are right. I think right now, if if you were to show Turing ChatGPT, he'd be like, oh, we've just created a human. 
Like, that would have been the thinking. Because the line was, once we've got general linguistic yeah, so capability... Yeah, yeah, okay. Th- that, that is the definition. But we mm. keep moving the goalpost, yeah. which, if anything, is kind of Turing's initial point. The goalpost has to move because we're going to reflect more, but yeah. our definition is going to get more and more niche over time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think ChatGPT like, kind of freaked me out a little bit. I wasn't expecting... The, the jump from oh, GPT-3. Oh, I absolutely was not expecting it at all. Yeah. No. Because I, it was like a year prior to chat GPT. No one had heard of GPT-3. Yeah. Apart from like a couple of niche things. So I was doing some work in that space at the time and kind of pitching a couple of projects to a client. Um, and then it became very mainstream. A, yeah, a I think later. you were the first person that actually um, spoke to me about using it um, yeah. in the way that you were with that that yeah. client. And um yeah, yeah, I I definitely laughed at you and kind of went, ha 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 ha. Yeah, it, it was almost too avant-garde. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like a year later. Yeah. Oh shit. No, I'm not going to claim that I predicted it because I think that'd be a bit crazy. But like, yeah, I think we're going to see more of these things where people are like, that's not going to, like, I wouldn't be surprised if within a couple of years, like coding isn't quite solved, but it's definitely more sophisticated than it is now. Yeah. I hope, going back to like the, the um, idea that, you know, ultimately Turing was having these hypotheses and that, you know, it was a part of Turing's goal that we actually move the goalposts mm-hmm. um, as we progress with his work and using his hypotheses. I think that's a really good thing. And I think it's really naive and ridiculous of us to think that we at this point have, you know, considered all that needs to be considered about what it means to have a human experience and what it means to be a human being. And that, and ultimately, you know, you look at the issues that we're facing at the moment and, you know, we are uh, surrounded by ridiculously clever human beings and et cetera, et cetera. And we're amazing as a species to some extent, but also like push back on that. I think, we have a very high opinion of ourselves. Well, things. yeah. And in the grand scheme, I, I was trying to be fine. polite about it. Yeah, but okay. like, yeah, you know, ultimately we still are like at foundational stages, yeah. I believe, of, of ultimately what uh, a species like ourselves could 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 go and do. Um, yeah. I'm yet not, I don't know if it's going to be us and our species, but it might be something that looks like us or yeah. something that comes from us. I don't know. Um, but ultimately we're, you know, a, a foundational stage um, of our kind of understandings of the so-called universe and, you know, and our our kind of position within that and, and what it means to have the experience that we're having right now. Yeah. Um, I, I do think it's worth noting, though, that because of the way in which we're shifting the goalposts, what we're talking about here is much closer to philosophy or even theology than to science. Yeah. And most people would use that as a denigrating term, but I think that's, there's, there's a kind of post-enlightenment um, bias against... Yes. Uh, philosophy basically absolutely Chris yes um uh, from my perspective I think I mean to go on a small tangent like f- philosophy is literally just the love of wisdom etymologically that that's what that's that is mm-hmm. and it used to be very much this is about how to live a good life mm. and over over a period of time it became a kind of much more oh, it's about metaphysics or it's about these yeah, very yeah. niche kind of areas that aren't particularly useful and what I hope is that especially as well, what I worry is going to happen, which is that AI is going to start automating a lot of stuff away. Mm. Um, people will be forced to rediscover some of this. Now, luckily, we still have some of those ancient texts and a lot of that, that old wisdom is still there. But I think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think a lot is going to change culturally. Mm. Um, and that doesn't get talked about very much, especially in the existential risk space. It's all this specific technology will do this. Yeah. I, I think actually, like, my number one, maybe number two, like, existential risk is, like, cultural collapse because mm. i think even if it's not 
I think it could be an existential threat to the species, but it's definitely an existential threat to, at the very least, the meaningful bit of living. Yeah. If not to the life itself. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mm. know. <laughs> I had a thought and it's it's gone. Oh, no. I know, it's yeah, really irritating. Yeah. But so I, I think overall, we've covered a fair amount in this episode, I think. I think so too. Um, in, in summary... It's very big. There's a lot. We're going to keep tangenting a lot. <laughs> there are virtual humans. They have a lot of political power. They're growing in political power. Mm. Um, not particularly de- democratically. Um, I don't know if you've got any other kind of closing notes. I don't think so. I think, yeah, we're just going to be talking about a lot of different things. Um, and ultimately, I think this is for lots of different sorts of people. And hopefully it will create different conversations in your world, not just ours. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. If people have questions or thoughts, we'll be sharing this on various podcast apps and on social media. We'll be checking those regularly for comments and things like that. So if there's particular areas that you would like us to cover or research, or if you have any disagreements with what we're saying or kind of... Oh yeah, please like send us your disagreements. Like, yeah, absolutely do. do that. Yeah. And agreements, you know, big yeah. up that ego. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or, or, or at the very least, give us the sanity to continue going. <laughs> yeah, that's more like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because as we said at the beginning, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along. Yeah. Um, I think that's as, as good as we can do. There are no simple answers here. Um, but yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you'll come back for the next one. And uh, yeah, much love from me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Take care of yourselves.